This is the Good Things Guy podcast with myself, Brendan DeCube, South Africa's very own Good Things Guy. I'm on a mission to change what the world pays attention to. I truly believe that there's good news all around us, and I spend my time hunting down and reporting on the best good news stories from South Africa and the world. In the Good Things Guy podcast, you'll meet these everyday heroes and hear their incredible stories. On the 23rd of November 2018, an armed gang opened fire on Lyle Holdsworth, a construction manager paying employees after a project. Lyle was rushed to hospital after the gang opened fire, where doctors treated him for heavy wounds in his throat. The prognosis was unknown. Doctors hoped that he would survive, but knew that he would face a long road to recovery. There was even talk that he may never speak again. But just five months later, and he's doing incredible, he's sitting in the studio with me, and it's like a miracle. Lyle and his wife Bronwyn have uh, joined us in studio today to chat about the journey that they've been on after this tragedy. Bronwyn, Lyle, thank you for joining me on the Good Things Guy podcast. Obviously, the show is about good news. Your story is incredibly tragic and one that um, that many South Africans face on a daily basis, crime Correct. in our country. But there has been a good outcome, and that's why I've invited you on the show. Uh, Lyle's sitting across from me, <laughs> and he just showed me... Um, where he was shot and where the bullets went in and I am blown away with uh, how he's healed because it's it's five months later and and the man sitting across from me um, you wouldn't be none the wiser. Bron I'm going to start with you because obviously um, this happened down in East London and you weren't you were here working doing your thing Correct, yes. and you got this phone call what exactly happened? Thank you Brett thanks for having us here we really appreciate it like I mentioned to you you know Lyle's got a story to tell and we feel it's very important that we tell the story. Um, so going back to, to that day, um, I was at the office. Normal day, dropped the kids off. Lal had been away on a project for eight weeks, so we hadn't seen him for a while. And yes, uh, we spoke in the morning, and at about 12 o'clock, I got a WhatsApp from him to say, listen, I've been shot in, in the neck and the shoulder. And to me, obviously, my first sort of thought was, okay, well, if you can WhatsApp me, yeah, then it obviously can't be, yeah, correct, it can't be that bad. Yeah. So, so with that, I tried to phone him, and um, a gentleman answered the phone, a stranger, um, and I just said to him, can Lyle speak to me? And he said, no, he can't speak. So to that, I said to him, um, is he okay? And he's like, no, he's not okay. So then obviously, I mean, then it was, I don't know what I did that day. I ran downstairs, upstairs. I had the whole company following me up and down. Um, everyone cried with me. Everyone, not many people were aware that he was away. You know, you don't really get to speak to your colleagues from day to day about that information. So they just wanted me to get in the car, take me to where he was. And of course he wasn't here. So I didn't even know how to get to him. I don't know where the shooting happened. Um, and I must say, that's when my, my company was fantastic. They just picked up all the pieces. They booked me and my brother air tickets to get to him. Um, the unfortunate thing is we couldn't get into East London. So we didn't know that there's only one flight in and out of East London a day. And that flight's usually fully booked. So we had to fly into Port Elizabeth. Um, so, I mean, my, my family as well. Incredible, amazing. My mom got to me and my little sister within seconds. They just packed our stuff up, got me the car, got us to the airport. And then at the airport, it was running around while I was busy speaking to doctors. You know, we, at that point, driving to the airport, they told me, look, they were busy working on him, but they couldn't tell me, give me any further information. And that was phoning him on his cell phone while they were in theater. The nurse was actually, you know, taking the calls. And when we got to the airport... That, that, that process, I mean, it must have been very overwhelming. Oh, no, completely. A lot of uncertainty, because you, you kind of don't understand what you're going to go find. 
down mm. in East London. And you're saying that um, like the airport troubles by not being able to fly directly and it almost have felt very overwhelming. Overwhelming. I mean, I was running between um, different airlines trying to see if we can get on. And, and this is where I think I was touched the first time with amazing people because when my brother and myself, my brother, we were standing in the queue waiting to, to see if we could get onto an earlier flight. There was only one flight out, and that was f- like first class or business class, and it was going to cost us like 12,000 rand. And at that point, I mean, we don't have that kind of cash. So we were like, it's just not a reality for us. We're going to have to go into East London. And this complete stranger, this lady, and I wish to this date I'd, I'd taken her name and her number. She came up to me and she was like, can I pay for you guys? Please let me pay this flight for you. And I declined. Actually, thinking back on it, I actually maybe should have accepted and got her details and paid her back somehow. But I declined and I was just like, thank you. No, it's okay. You know, you're not thinking clearly. I mean, but, I would have got but, to me I mean, that's, that's the reality of the South Africa that we live in. I mean, how does that even happen? I've got goosebumps. <laughs> um, that's, it's, it's ordinary people doing extraordinary things Absolutely. that remind us how incredible it is to live where we live do. Live like that, exactly. So um, we kept our initial flights to, to get into to Port Elizabeth. At the airport, I remember collapsing on the floor because the last call I had before I got in that airplane was, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look like he's going to make it. And the, I mean, I don't even want to remember those those few minutes. It was it was awful. So getting on the airplane, I didn't know what I was landing and coming to. I didn't know if my husband would still be alive. Um, I mean, I remember when the plane landed, I completely, completely freaked out. I mean, I ran to the back of the plane. I was telling those ears just to, to open. Like, I had to get out. I was so claustrophobic. Um so then when we arrived, I had family living in, in Port Elizabeth. He, him and his wife are actually um, policemen. So by the time we got to him at the airport, he said to me, he was able to give me the news. Listen, your husband's okay. So he was obviously in touch with all the the ambulance guys, everyone that was working on Lal. Um, so, I mean, you can only imagine the sort of relief. Relief. When you hear, Complete okay, relief. your husband's alive. That's the main thing. We didn't know to what extent, what damage he had or, you know, what the future was going to, but we knew he was alive and that was the main thing. Um, so... Look, the roads between Port Elizabeth and East London are not ones you want to drive at night. So we had to sleep over at my, my uncle's house. Um, and early in the morning, you know, as soon as the sun rose, me and my brother rented a car and we got through. How, how far is the drive? From- it was three hours. Yeah, again, the worst, the longest three hours of, of my life. Um, and then, you know, we got to the hospital. And, I mean, it's a sight no one wants to see. I mean, Lal was connected to every machine you can imagine. Um and then we were there, you know, we were standing around his bed in ICU. Um, and, and immediately the doctor, as we got there, the doctor arrived at the same time. And he hadn't spoken to Lal yet either. Was Lal awake? Or, well, I mean, he yes. was on all these machines, so... Yes, um, he was He was awake. Um, I know he was on a, um, all these different pipes to feed him. Um, he was on, I don't know what you call it, the... A breathing a machine. A breathing machine. Yeah. Um, but he was, he was responding very high on morphine, obviously. Yeah. So in and out of sleep and... Cracking a few jokes with his hand signals and all of that. Um, but I think that's where like reality hits in for me and Byron. So Byron again being my brother. So the doctor came in and he examined Lal and then he looked at us um, and he just said to Lal, you know, how are you doing? And Lal took a piece of paper and he started writing, you know, long story. And obviously Byron and myself are so eager now to see, you know, what is he writing? What is he saying? Um, and sorry, I get a bit emotional with this. But um, so, so just to take you back, Lal's known as the dance dad. Okay, he knows all the dance skills, not even from our studio, from 
everywhere. No, because so, your, your daughter does dance. She's a very she's a world champ dancer. Yes, yes, yes. correct. So yeah. that, that's why he would be the dancer. Yeah. So he screams for all those dancers. Um, like I said, he knows all their names. Sometimes his daughter gets upset with him because he's screaming for other girls at the same time, right? So, so he's the dance dad. He's won two years in a row at our studio, the dance dad. Okay, everyone knows well. Um, so the first thing shame he wrote on this piece of paper to this doctor was, "Doctor, will I speak again?" He says, "Because I need to scream for my daughter at dancing." You know, and with that, both Byron and myself, obviously, had to walk out and, you know, so the doctor couldn't say anything to that. I mean, I could see even the doctor had tears in his eyes and he was just like, you know what, let's take day by day. Yeah. Let's see how it goes. But the prognosis, I mean, if I, if I look at it uh, factually, the prognosis was that he most probably will not speak again. Well, that, that, that was, I mean, when we were yes. reading the news reports, that's what the doctors were saying. Correct. So we hadn't had any information up until this point. So no doctor had communicated with us. So we actually didn't know ourselves. All I know, it didn't look good around his neck because obviously that's, he got shot twice through the neck. So he was on a trackie. Um, never seen that before. So I don't even know what that was. So everything was very unsure. I didn't know what was what at that point. Um, and that's when, so after the exam and all, that's when he called me out the room. And he just took one look at me and he said, look, look, my girl, he's alive, but he will not speak again. That's a given. Um, or even breathe on his own. He said, look, the track, he might be a permanent fixture, which I mean is not nice by any means to, to, to live with that is. What, know, is, what is that? Sorry. So um, because he had so much damage to the, the vocal cords, they had to um, sort of cut it off so it could heal. So they, they put it almost like a pipe straight to the lung. Um, so it's a little thing that sticks out of your throat that that's where you're breathing from. Right, I've seen those before. I know what you're talking about. Correct, yeah. correct. So he, his main focus at that point, you know, he wanted us not to worry about the voice. He's like, that's gone. He's. It was so, so bad that they couldn't actually see what was what. Um, and with that, you know, it, it's just severely damaged. Um, but his main focus was to get the track here and get him breathing on his own. And I still say, you know, to this day, I didn't, I feel guilty because I didn't care. I was like, whether my husband can speak or not, I don't care. You know, he's, yeah, that's the main thing. Because for me, you okay, know. But Bron, that, that's nothing to feel guilty about. <laughs> I mean, anybody in the same situation would want the outcome to be that their loved one has survived. Has survived. That, I mean, that's, you, you're thinking about survival. Mm. Um, and, and to me, you know, my, my, my main thing, even on the flight, was if anything should happen to Lowell, how would I tell my two children? You know, that to me, how, how? That, that must be the most worst experience anyone, any human would have to ever go through. So the fact that he was alive and I didn't have to have that conversation with my kids put everything, put my mind at ease. And I, and I must also go back quickly. Um, not what a lot of people didn't realize is all in my relationship wasn't great. Because he was away all the time, you know, I was sort of doing it on my own. And I was angry. I was angry with him because, you know, why aren't you here? You know, this is what matters the most is our family and the kids and life. And we weren't doing life together. But when I walked in that first day in, in ICU and I took one look at him, I was like, this man is lying here because all he tried to do was create a living. Yeah. That's all yeah. he tried to do for us, you know. So um, my whole perspective changed immediately on life, on my, my marriage, on everything. I was like, yeah, I was angry with him, but he was just trying to. Provide, provide for me and the kids, yeah. you know, and and with that he went from zero to hero in my books. You know, I've never looked at my husband in a more loving, caring, you know, this amazing man. Um, how, how long have you guys been married for? So this is the thing. So in November it was our ten year wedding anniversary when he was away and when this whole incident happened. Um, so we didn't get to celebrate it together, 
but I'll, I'll tell you a bit about that as well, what happened later on down the line. Um, but yeah, so here was this amazing man that got shot twice in the neck, once in the arm, and drove himself to the hospital. So what the doctor said to me, they said there was this amazing, incredible doctor, young doctor in the emergency ward, and he said to us, you can go thank him for saving your life, for also saving your husband's life. So Lal was shot in the jugular, and the doctor said to me, on paper, you should only have maximum five minutes to survive that. Lal drove himself 25 kilometers to the hospital. How? Like how? Exactly. how? Divine intervention. Divine intervention. That's all we can put it to. I mean, there's no, there's no other words for it, you know. And again, this doctor has made such a name for himself because what he did that day, apparently it takes a few tries. He got it right at the, you know, as soon as Lal walked in, he got the right thing at the right time. And that's what saved him. You know, um, had it not been for this doctor, you know, it could have been different. Did you manage to speak to the doctor? Did yes. you thank him? Yes, I did. So um, that same day when we were waiting for visiting hours, my brother and myself, um, I was asking about this doctor. Um, and they said to me, well, he happens to be in casualty today. So, of course, now I need to track him down. So I went into the casualty um, and you're sitting behind writing notes. Obviously, he's just seen a patient. So I waited, and when he looked up, I said to him, um, you know, you must be the doctor that, that, obviously with his name, you must be the doctor that, that saved Lal. And he knew immediately, he said, you must be Mrs. Holdsworth. I said, yes, I am. And at that, he gave me a hug, and obviously there was a few tears shed, even from his side. He said, and he said to me, he said, let me tell you, he said, it wasn't me. I mean, what a humble man. He said to me, it wasn't me. He says, the reason your husband is alive today is the love that he had for his family and his kids. So when Lal got into the emergency ward, his first words before he passed out, because he blacked out at some point, um, when they started then obviously going into emergency mode, um, was, doctor, don't let me die. He said, I've got two little kids I need to get home to. And the doctor said, we've even got a letter where he's come back and said, he, what, what we experienced that day was nothing short of a miracle. And his love for his kids and his wife is what pulled him through. So on paper, you know, lol shouldn't be alive. He really shouldn't. The doctors are saying it's a miracle. And when something like that gets handed to you, you know, when you're given this opportunity, what do you do with it? Because now we need to tell our story. Yeah. We need to tell our story because, like I said, our marriage wasn't doing well. But uh, everything, our whole perspective has changed on life. Oh, I can imagine. I can imagine. There's, there's something that I have to ask, though. And, and we're going to chat to Lyle in a second. Um, because, miraculously, he did not only survive, but he did get his voice back. Correct. I think he's just catching his breath. <laughs> how, how after what you've been through now, right? You've survived this tragic crime. How do you not look at South Africa with, with anger? Mm. You know, Brent, it's a difficult question to, to answer because it's not something you choose. But from the minute this happened, I've actually felt sorry for the guys that have done this to Lal. We both have. You know, even Kelly, my daughter, was was driving with us and she said to me, Mom, she's so angry. But not once has it been, I'm angry at the guys that did this to my dad. You know, it's something that's happened and you can either stop and focus on that. This bad thing happened and these guys are whatever the case may be. But we've chose to actually feel sorry for them. You know, there is poverty. It's a reality in South Africa. And, you know, it's the poverty that must probably drove them to do this. So for me, I feel sorry for them. You know, I wish... I could sit down one day and have a discussion with them and say, you know, I'd like to know what went through their minds. Was it so bad that they had to do this? Were they, were they caught? They were, yes. Um, I must be honest, we, we haven't heard much after. I know two of the three were arrested. So I think it's an ongoing investigation. Um, I, I do believe the one was let out on bail. 
But yeah, I'm, I'm sure we'll hear from them shortly. And Bron, um, the reason why I... Okay, so if we take a step back, uh, I, I know you from high school. Like I've known you for many, many, many years. Okay. And that means that we're in the same community and we're in the same friendship circle. And the reason I heard about what had happened before it hit the news reports is because of Megan and Clayton Duckworth. That's um, amazing inc- friends of ours. Incredible friends of yours. And, I mean, Clay's pretty well known for his cycling. Yeah. He does all the, the epics and all those crazy things. But immediately when this happened, I think Megan put it together. I'm not mm. sure if they, they both sat on the computer, but yeah. they put together a crowdfunding campaign in order to just take off some pressure. They were like, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know where we're going to go from here. We don't know what's going to happen with Lyle. But obviously, he's going to need some recovery time, and they wanted to alleviate this pressure. And the community just jumped on board. Unreal. I mean, again, that's why we have to tell our story, because, yes, this happened, and, yes, it wasn't great, but what we've, what's come out of it, I mean, it's just never-ending. It's never-ending. If I can tell you, if something tragic happens in life, you get this, in my thoughts, I'll pray for you. What we experienced or what I experienced sitting in East London was people that were trying to organize an airplane to fly in, you know, to be with us. It was people that, can I come there? It wasn't even a case, do you need money? It was, here. Yeah, I've put, and I mean, we're talking 10,000 rand from an anonymous donor into my account. I mean, what is that? You know, from the lady that wanted to pay our 12,000 rand tickets to this guy that just wanted to get his helicopter there with his friends so they could come be with us. Um, I mean, Megan and Clay raising, and let me tell you, if... If that, those funds weren't raised, I don't know what would have happened for, to us financially because that is the reality. You know, Lal, obviously, he's still not working. He has to recover. He's taking the next six months to recover. And, and it was, I mean, you're a contractor, so you're earning your own salary. This, your your hours are, are making money, and if you're not there working, then you ain't making money. This is it. And, you know, even after recovery, um, you know, will he go back to construction? We don't know. You know, it might be that he has to find something else, go in a different direction. Um, and we're okay with that. You know, that's another big thing that has come out of this for us is your whole life you spent chasing money. You want the nice house. You want the nice cars. Um, and then something like this it changes your perspective. Changes everything. And it puts everything into perspective. You know, we don't mind if we're staying in a one-bedroom townhouse and we have to walk to work. To walk, ugh, walk to work. Yeah. Um it's all about the, the, the quality time with our kids. It's about having our marriage stronger than it's ever been before. And we've got that. I mean, we've got everything. You, you've got everything what you more, need. What more do we want? Um, so an amazing thing happened also during my journey of your story. But we'd written the article on Good Things Guy. We'd put it up there. We were trying to help to raise funds. And it got picked up by... Um, a community newspaper in, in Glen Vista, I think, like the Caxton Arm or whatever. Yeah. And they asked if they could republish the story. And I said, no problem. Like, we need to get this word out there to as many people as we possibly can. And they contacted me a couple of days later. And it's just, it's just so crazy how, like, I'm, I'm 34 and I live in social media and I'm in that space. But there were people that had read the newspaper that aren't on social media. And they had no way to click on the crowd. Like, they couldn't access the crowd. So they'd, they sort of got hold of me and said, um, can we get account details? Because just people want to help. They just want to help. They want to make sure that you guys are okay. And, and to see that from my perspective, it was amazing. And you know, Brent, it's not even about the money. There was a pensioner, a lady that also went through this whole system, went back to Megan to get my number just to say, I'm thinking about you, how are you guys doing? You know, it's, that means, you know, the world. More, the world, it means more than anything to us. Again, it wasn't the normal 
we're thinking about you in our thoughts. It's like, what can I do? Tell me. We got a lot of, can we fetch your kids? Where's your kids? What can we do with your kids? You know, we got a lot of that. And it, it's been never ending. It's just the support is, is unreal. And I think it plays a big part that we've got through this, okay? Lyle, well, five months in, are we not ready to talk? No, don't try. <laughs> just emotional. Yeah, I, I mean, your story, it, it's to relive it um, and to hear your wife speak the way that she she is uh, I'm getting emotional it's um it was tragic what you went through but like I said seeing you sitting here today is is an absolute miracle thanks absolute miracle thank you so much Bron what is next I mean we're, we're in recovery now and what's the plan you know what in, a, in anything that the universe has for us you know, whatever we get thrown, anything that gets thrown our way, we'll take it head on. We'll do what we have to with it. So, look, obviously, Lowell has now had his last procedure with his arm. It was a bit painful. Funny enough, the shoulder it was the was, shoulder. Correct. And it was actually more painful than the, the throat. So that's that's been quite a quite a painful one for him. But um, I think, you know, from here, he's ready to go. So it's finding a job now, getting out there again and... Just, yeah, yeah it's, uh, picking I, up the pieces and moving on. The fact that his voice has come back is also an incredible That's miracle. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. Have you spoken to the doctors again? Yes, yes. Like I said, doctor, this doctor that saved his life sent us an email. He often messages Lal, you know, just to say, you know, how you're doing. And he, he finds it a miracle. It's, he finds Lal's story amazing. It's not something you hear of. So. No, no, no. I was, I was at lunch yesterday and I, uh, one of our friends is a doctor and he was just saying, and, and this is what I love is that you took the time to go acknowledge and thank and um, sort of honor someone that had saved Lyle. But uh, he said that it's not, that doesn't happen very often. Eh? A lot of doctors, um, they're doing what they do and they, they do what they do every day. Mm. And we as human beings take it for granted. granted. And we don't turn around and send a message or go find them and say thank you. So I think it's really admirable that you did that as well. Yeah. I mean, I wish I could do more. How do you thank a man that saved your husband's life? What more can you do? Well, I, I, like I said, I was at lunch with the doctor yesterday and, and that's all. The thank you is enough. enough. <laughs> that is enough. That's, I mean, they, they're doing their passion. Actually, they're doing yes. what they love. Yes. Um, and in order just to get a, a thanks is, is more than it's enough. more than enough. Yeah. It's amazing to, to have you here and I'm glad that you're alive. I know that's the strangest words to ever come out of my <laughs> mouth. Um, but out of tragedy, a new, a new version of you has been born. And I, I feel like you're going to go on to do amazing things. And the story that it's not your only story, but it's a part of your life, this chapter. And I feel like it's, it could change other people's lives to know that um, the good does come from tragedy. That's exactly why, Brent, and thank you very much, like Bronwyn said earlier, for inviting us. Um, ever since this tragedy has happened, there have been quite a few people that have said, you've got a story to tell. And the thing is, you never know which platform or medium to approach to tell the story, because it's reality. Um, unfortunately, there's poverty. Um, things are going to happen. People need to put food on the table. And um, we're not saying that it's right for this to be done, but there's a story to be told and some positivity to come out of it. And I think it's community coming together. It's also a big part with Bronwyn's family and my family, um, which I think was the most important for me. Um, they got me through December. It was December. I was shot on the 23rd of November. So December obviously being Christmas, um, being around the family, um, the small eats, the lunches, the get-togethers. <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, I can see that uh, it is emotional for you to talk about it, but um, your story 
and and why i mean it's an honor for me to have you in the studio telling your story but i think why it's so important for me is because a lot of south africans right now are feeling like um we've lost hope mm. um and and there's only two ways that people really live and and in this example you either live with hope or you live with fear Mm. And a lot of South Africans are living in fear, whether that's fear as a privileged person of, of the crime or if that's fear as um, the, the poorest person, how they're going to make it to tomorrow. And I think that your story reminds us to be hopeful. You you've went through something absolutely tragic, but your forgiveness is absolutely beautiful. And um, and it's hopeful that it's not all bad. Um, you know, it, the country is in a state of the nation. We, we're in an, an election year, which is tough. But um, we can be hopeful that the, the future will be better. Mm. And I love the fact that you've taken this stance to not be hateful mm. and to not harbor aggression, but to rather move on. Mm. I think it's so so important. important yeah. And, you know, Brent, again, there's a few things that have come out. So even if this touches one person, that would be amazing for Lala myself is – you know what, before you leave in the morning, give your partner that hug and the kiss. Because how often do you just run out the house and you actually forget to do that? It's slowing down. It's just just appreciating one another. You know, of course, yes, we still have arguments. Even now, of course, you can't scream at me, <laughs> which is quite nice. <laughs> but um, we still have arguments. But you know what? It's walk away and immediately come back together. Don't harvest anger to one another. Um, you know, the kids will do something small. And you'll see both of us will pay attention to that now. Little stresses, day-to-day -day stresses in life will not stress us out anymore. Don't sweat the small stuff. You know, go after the bigger challenges. Again, just appreciate your partner. Appreciate the small things. Stop chasing money. Let money chase you. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Because yeah. if you're in a happy marriage, you've got these amazing kids around you, that's all you need. You know, that is your, your wealth. I love that. I absolutely <laughs> um, love that. So, so yeah, there's a lot to be learned from our story, and that's why we're here. We want to we want to tell people just to appreciate life because it's so short. You you don't know when your partner might be taken away from you. So just appreciate every minute. Well, you've made me appreciate life through this interview, and I want to thank you for sharing your story and for being so vulnerable because that's exactly what it is. This is the first time you're sort of opening up about it, and um, yeah, I I hope that this gets back to that woman that tried to buy you a ticket so she can I know. Hope so I hope I that, that that if that's just one person that can hear this interview so she can hear how she, she, you may not have taken her up on the offer but that moment um, is a reminder of beautiful humanity absolutely absolutely well i wish you guys a long life and lal um thank you for joining us thank you for telling your story and i hope only good things come to you in the future well thanks Brenton. thanks for for letting us yeah, thanks come for having talk. us thanks we really appreciate it amazing only good things thank you good things. I'm Brent Lindeke, South Africa's very own Good Things Guy, and you've been listening to Good Things Guy, a jackpot podcast. For more episodes or to subscribe, rate, or review my podcast, go to iTunes, Iona FM, or Google Podcasts. Be kinder than necessary to yourself and each other. Thanks, and only good things.